Let's turn together to the book of Romans, chapter 15. We'll finish off chapter 15 this morning, verses 22 through 33. Um, Paul has completed uh, the body of the letter. He's talked about all the theology uh, that he wanted to present. He's applied that starting in chapter 12 to how we live as a result of God's grace uh, made manifest and available to us in Christ Jesus. And now, at this point in the letter, he's really just taking care of housekeeping matters. Uh, he's telling the Roman Christians why he hasn't come to see them sooner. Uh, it's because his ministry has been to the Gentiles. Uh, his ministry has been one of establishing new work in churches. Uh, and now he says at this point, uh, he's pretty much done everything he can do in the location uh, that, that he's in at that point. He's probably writing from the city of Corinth that's in southern Greece. And uh, that, that's almost the, uh, the, the western limit of, of Paul's ministry, starting in Jerusalem, going uh, as far as Greece. Uh, wherever he went, he would start new churches. He would preach to the Gentiles. Now at this point, evidently, uh, the churches have been planted. There are other people now in the area geographically who can uh, start the churches, who can teach the people, disciple the believers. And so he says, my, my ministry of starting churches and preaching to Gentiles now needs to take a, 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 a next step. And so he says, I'm on my way to Spain, and uh, as I'm going to Spain, I'll stop by and see you. Um, I don't know how I would have felt as a Roman Christian being told that, well, I was just sort of being a, a stopover on the way, but you, you take what you can get. So Paul says, I'm on my way. But before I go, he says, I have to do one more thing. Um, at that time, and one part of Paul's ministry was collecting money and offerings to bring to the Christians in Jerusalem because many of the believers in Jerusalem uh, were impoverished. Uh, scholars debate why that is so. There's various reasons, all of them good. But um, the churches then uh, across the then-known world uh, decided, well, um, out of appreciation for the ministry of the apostles and to support the work that began in Jerusalem, uh, they would send monetary support uh, as well to Jerusalem. So evidently some of the churches in northern Greece and Achaia and Macedonia had taken a collection. They had the money. Uh, they gave it to Paul. Uh, Paul did not take it himself. He had others around him to, so that uh, uh, there was accountability. He said, well, first I need to take this collection to Jerusalem. And when I've brought the collection to Jerusalem, then I'm going to Spain, but I'll stop off in Rome and we'll visit together. So that, that's essentially what he's saying at this point as he's unfolding the plan that he has for his life uh, in the next few months, next year or so. Uh, so with that as the background, let's look at verse 22, Romans chapter 15. Paul says, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. 
When therefore I have completed this, I have and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. And may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Father, I just pause and thank you for those who work hard on our behalf, men and women who work in the fields, in the factories, in the offices, in the classrooms, in the marketplaces. Father, to supply sustenance day by day for their families and loved ones. Father, I thank you for the workers who are diligent and faithful in performing their duties and being a part of the way in which you um, give us uh, the provision whereby we might live. For we're reminded that our first parents in the garden were also given a job to do, labor to be performed, and that it was a way to worship you and to glorify you. And so on this weekend, Father, I thank you for the gift of labor and pray that we might be diligent in offering our endeavors, our efforts, offering our work up to you as a sacrifice befitting of your glory. Father, as an act of worship to bring before you the very best that we have to offer. Father, on this Labor Day weekend, let your Holy Spirit inhabit our lives in the workplaces so that others might see Jesus in us and lift him up Claim him as Lord. Come to love and serve him. Father, for your glory, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps you have heard of Robert Burns. Robert Burns was the, um, um, the ultimate poet of Scotland. Um, his, he was actually voted the most famous Scotsman ever by the people of Scotland. Uh, so um, uh, that's, that's how big he is. Um, but he was a poet. And uh, his poetry, however, was um, funded by um, the work that uh, he thought he was supposed to do, and that was farming. Uh, Bobby Burns was never a really good farmer. Um, he struggled with uh, running the family farm with his brother uh, his whole life, died at a very young age. Uh, but in the course of farming one year, it was actually 1785. In fact, it was November of 1785. He was plowing uh, the field under, and as he was running the plow across the field, the blade ran right across a mouse's nest. Um, and he looked down. I, I have not really tried to visualize what a mouse nest looks like once a plow has gone through it, um, sort of like maybe a teenager's room or something like that. But, uh, uh, but he looked down and he saw that he had destroyed this mouse's nest. And Bobby Burns, being who he was, decided to write a poem about it and came up with a clever title, To a Mouse. And uh, what he says is, uh, oh, poor mouse, you're, you're afraid. I've scared you to death um, because I've, I've destroyed your nest. Uh, you spent all summer building the nest so you would have a place to live during the winter. And now I have destroyed 
your hope of survival. Now, he said it better than that, and he said it with a Scottish sort of accent, but, um, but the, the gist of the poem is that this poor mouse has worked very hard to supply for the future, has a plan for the future, and that plan has been destroyed out of the blue by this random plow cutting through the nest of the mouse. And in the course of that poem, Bobby Burns said uh, to the mouse that the best laid schemes of mice and men gang oft iglae. You probably know it as the best laid plans of mice and men often go astray. But that's what he's talking about. It's the destruction of a plan that was going to take care of you in the future. And out of the blue, for no apparent reason, it's utterly destroyed. Uh, maybe you're feeling a little mousy uh, today. Uh, maybe you've experienced a plow running through uh, your plans and uh, just, just disrupting everything that you thought you knew was, was settled and, and taken care of for the future um, because it's, it's very human to plan. In fact, I, I would su suggest to you that uh, it is ultimately human to plan. Animals look like they're planning. A mouse will build a nest, but it's just instinct. It's just something that's been built into the DNA of, of, of a mouse, that, of that kind of mouse, that uh, you would build a nest for, uh, for the winter. Uh, the mouse doesn't really think about it. In fact, the mouse doesn't really um, uh, cogitate on, on uh, the best way to build the nest and all that. just does a mouse nest uh, because that's what mouses do. Um, migrating birds aren't really planning to go to a better climate for the, for the season. They're, they're just doing what they've always done. They're going along with the bird crowd, uh, uh, gathering acorns for the winter. Looks like planning, but in point of fact, it is simply the uh, DNA of that animal coming up. So, it's ultimately human to plan because we look at the future and we try to figure out what might happen, what's the best way to get a handle on it, how can we plan for uh, other contingencies and, and, and planning like that, trying to reshape and, and take into account an unknown future is ultimately a human thing to do that animals really aren't capable of doing. A chess master was once asked, how many moves do you plan ahead? His answer was, I only plan one move ahead. He said, but it's always the right move. And uh, that's, that's the trick of it, is to know what is that next move? What is the next step that we ought to take? Because planning is very, very much human. It's a hard thing to do. It's hard to get others to plan. Uh, anybody who has tried to get uh, uh, children to think about the future or, or young people to think about their future, to plan maybe financially uh, for the future, it's, it's sort of a difficult thing uh, to do, but we know that you need some kind of plan. Uh, you need to have a, a financial plan, retirement plan, a career plan, an educational plan. Most of us have some kind of inkling of a plan. Maybe you You've written it out and you're just that compulsive and nobody likes you or maybe or maybe you have a plan and it's just sort of rolling around in your head and and uh, you sort of maybe uh, understand what it is from day to day but uh, you need to have a plan but it's it's hard to plan so often it's a difficult thing to plan because you really don't know what's coming down the pike and when you do get that plan it's going to be a humbling experience because I can almost guarantee the plan won't work out you know I don't know very many people who started 
and ended with the same college major. There are a few of us. Um, I did only because I didn't care about a major. Uh, I wasn't going to use it anyway. So um, uh, it was just get the union card and the degree. But, um, uh, you know, most, most, of the time, most kids who go to college, they have a plan, and, and a lot of times that changes as the course goes on. Not always, but sometimes that changes. But you have a plan, and you think, well, here's where I'll be in 10 years, and 10 years goes by, and then you look back and say, that, this wasn't the plan. And a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of reasons why a plan will, will fall apart. Sometimes it's because of what others do. Uh, maybe it's something that they've done that's outside of the will of God, and, and you've just sort of been victimized by somebody else's uh, misdeed or their, their sin. Uh, it, your, your plans might uh, be upset by circumstances. Um, very few people think that, wow, when I, when I grow older, I, I really want to get that Parkinson's disease. That'll be really fine. In fact, I think I want to get it early. Uh, I don't think my dad planned on that. Um, I don't think my mother planned on cancer. Uh, you don't plan on these things, but they come into your life and they change your plans, and, and it's a humbling experience that all the plans you make may or may not uh, work out. Sometimes your plan was unrealistic. Sometimes you weren't up to the plan. Sometimes you overestimated yourself, and sometimes uh, the, the plan just for whatever reason falls apart and you don't really know why. But it's ultimately human to plan, and it's hard to plan and hard to get others to plan responsibly. And when you do, it's a, it's a humbling thing uh, to try to work out a plan and see how that works. And so this morning, I want for us to look at Paul, who had a plan for his life. Uh, at least he had a plan for the next few months. He said, I want to go to Jerusalem, then I'm going to go to Rome, then I'm going to go to Spain. Sort of like the way you, you, you planned your, your vacation. You thought it would all go well, and, and uh, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But Paul said that's what he wanted to do. Now, when Paul made these plans, he had competing interests that he had to deal with. There was, first of all, the interests of the Achaeans and the Macedonians. You remember he talked about those? They've collected the money to send to Jerusalem. They wanted to do something nice. Uh, for fellow Christians in Jerusalem. And so they collected the money. They had given it to Paul. I'm not sure this was Paul's favorite thing to do. He did a lot of it, but um, uh, it, it, it was more like an assignment than it was uh, something he loved uh, to do. But they had given him the money. He was going to transport it back to Jerusalem uh, for them. And so he had to take them into account. And some of the things he wanted to do, he wanted to go to Spain. That had to be put on hold for a minute. He had to take into account the folks in Jerusalem uh, because when he got there, he would have to share the offering. He'd have to give them an update on what he was doing. There'd be, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the interaction and the prayer time. So, you know, sort of like he had to go to Jerusalem to see those people, um, kind of like your vacation when you had to stop by and see the in-laws, um, which was always a lot of fun, and I always looked forward to that <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Can we go see your brother? <laughs> oh, oh, that's right, right. Uh, hey there, Bill. <laughs> you never know who's watching, Debbie says. <laughs> but anyway, so, so he had that, that interest. And then there were the Romans, and the Romans were saying, Paul, why, why did you never come see us? You, you, you've never come here to preach. You, you know, what are we, something wrong with us? And, and Paul, a lot of what Paul wrote in the book of Romans was to say, well, here's why I haven't come to see. I've been preaching this gospel thing and talking about living for the glory of God. And, and so he says, yeah, I'm, I'm going to come to Rome, and I'll, I'll stop in, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be there, and, and uh, we'll visit together. But I actually, I want to get to Spain. Now, Paul knew that this was a plan that may or may not work. I mean, this, 
this was Paul's life where plans rearranged. If you had asked Paul as a young man, he said, Paul, what do you want to do with your life? He would have said, I want to be a scholar. I want to serve on the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, and I want to teach the law and uphold the Jewish tradition. That was Paul's intention. That's why he signed up and studied with uh, Rabbi Gamaliel. This, this was the plan to be a scholar teaching the Jewish law and tradition. It did not turn out that way. God intervened and said, Paul, actually what I want you to do is be an itinerant uh, evangelist. I want you to go from city to city, and I want you to be preaching Jesus Christ as my son, as Savior of all mankind. I want you to be preaching Jesus everywhere, all over the, the, this area of the world in a way that you never imagined. And so Paul, as he's writing probably in Corinth at this point, is thinking to himself, you know, I've made plans before, and they just didn't turn out the way I thought they would. In fact, I'll give you another example for that. It's found in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 16. Now, I'll read this for you. It starts at verse 6. Um, this, this is Paul and Silas, and they're on a missionary journey, and they're trying to figure out what to do. It says, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. These are uh, like um, uh, provinces in uh, uh, what is today Turkey, all right? That's all you need to know. They, but they tried to get into Phrygia, and they tried to get into Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. See, at first they tried to preach Christ in Asia. Now, what could possibly be wrong with that? I mean, this sounds like a really good plan. God must like this plan. I want to preach Jesus in Asia, another county in, um, in Turkey. Is it, and, and the Holy Spirit says no. You know, it's not like... Uh, some town council or some governor or, or some uh, political authority said, no, 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 you can't preach. It was God himself said, no, you're not going to preach there. I mean, it just seems so obvious. I want to preach Christ. I want to preach Christ there. Why would God stop me? But God did. He stopped him from doing that. Well, okay, then we'll go on. We'll try to preach somewhere else. It says when they had come up to Mysia, again, another place, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. What's going on here? I mean, what's the point of planning? But then it says that after they had been told, don't go into Asia, that's, that's not the right plan. They planned to go into Bithynia. No, don't go into Bithynia. Then the verse says, and, and so um, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there and said, come over to, Ma to Macedonia and help us preach Christ to us here. In other words, they couldn't get to Macedonia until God said no to Asia and Bithynia, okay? I call this the broken nose theory of doing the will of God. You know, you figure, God, you must want me in Asia, so you step out in faith, and God slams the door, Okay? Well, how about in, in, in Bithynia? You know, I'm, I'm going to preach there. And God says, no, and slams the door. No, you didn't have to be so hard about it. <laughs> it really hurt. And finally you get to Troas, and God can take you to Macedonia. I call that the broken nose theory of doing the will of God because you've got to do something. If you just sit still, God can't guide you at all. If you don't have some plan, God can't redirect your plan. If you're just sitting still, you can't, can't be, be redirected. But as long as you're moving, God may close the door, but that's just to get you to come over here so he can close another door and get over here so now God can open the door. And you had to go through the first two doors for God to convince you that your, your plans weren't exactly right, but he got you over to where he wanted you to be. But as long as you're moving, as long as you're planning, as long as you're seeking the will of God, he eventually will get you to where he wants you to be. 
And so Paul was very much knowledgeable of the fact that sometimes plans don't quite work out the way you want them to work out, but God is still in charge. God is still Lord and sovereign over uh, your life. Now, if you look at verse 30 in, in, in uh, Romans chapter 15, yeah, uh, you, you come to find out that Paul even sort of had a sense that this plan might not work out. He said, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Um, just put a little T in the margin for Trinity on that verse. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. See, now Paul wasn't planning for unbelievers in Judea to stop his ministry. He just said, it might happen. That might be what they want. You just pray to God that, that his wor- will will be done and that I'll be preserved from all of that. Uh, but he understood. It's not just as simple as saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, then I'm going to Rome, then I'm going to Spain. It was a matter of, I'm going to Jerusalem, and if they don't, you know, sabotage my plans there, then I'll go to Rome, and they don't sabotage my plans, then I'll go to Spain. See, he, he knew that a plan may not work out. And he prayed that I might deliver it from unbelievers in uh, Jerusalem, so that by God's will, by God's will, I may come to you. So there was Paul's plan. His plan was, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, deliver the offering. I'm going to come to Rome. We'll have some fellowship. I'm going to go to Spain. I'll have another ministry. How did the plan work out? What we know from the book of Acts is that when he got to Jerusalem, he was arrested. And for two years, he was under arrest. Evidently not a prison, but a a kind of house arrest while his case was being adjudicated. And the can, literally, well, not literally, but uh, the uh, judicial can being kicked down the road in his case. But for two years in in Judea, he was under arrest. arrest. And then finally, he appealed his case, and they said, fine, we're going to send you to Rome. So the way he got to Rome was not on a cruise ship, but on a prison ship. He didn't get there because he had planned the itinerary. He got there because the Roman government sent him there under arrest for uh, adjudication of a case that had been brought against him in Jerusalem. So he goes to Jerusalem. That doesn't work out. He's arrested. About two years later, he winds up in Rome. And that's not what he expected. He's under house arrest in Rome, by the way. The Jews and uh, the believers in, in Rome are allowed to come and to see him. But he's under arrest. This wasn't the plan. And we don't know if he ever got to Spain. There's a tradition that he got to Spain, but there's no proof that he got to Spain. We don't really know what, much of what happened to Paul after that. We try to piece it together. But evidently this plan, it sounded so simple, didn't it? Jerusalem, Rome, Spain, it just didn't work out that way. Because plans don't actually always work the way you want them to. But here's the thing we tell one another. And I hope you, you, you believe this. God really is in control. Amen. Now, sometimes we say that God is in control as a way of saying, I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> but God is in control because while we have plans with a little p, God has the plan with a capital P. See, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for you. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God's plan for your life, number one plan is that you look like Jesus. We've seen that all throughout the the book of Romans. We keep coming back to that again and again. This is what God designed you to do. This is God's plan for your life. And so as you're making your your smaller plans, your weekly plans, your decade-long plans, your life plan, understand that God's plan is that you look like Jesus. God's plan is that you come to the cross of Jesus Christ and confess your sins 
and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and give your life to him in a life of obedience and service. God's plan is a plan to save you, and that plan cannot ever be frustrated. No one can in, in, interfere with that plan. The course it takes may look different, but God is in control, and his plan will come to pass. I want to illustrate that from the book of Jeremiah. Uh, this is Jeremiah chapter 29. Some of you are familiar with, with uh, these verses, but in Jeremiah, and I'm going to start reading in verse 10. We could, could uh, start a little bit sooner than that. But here in Jeremiah, what has happened is that the Jews have been deported to the city and the nation of Babylon. The Babylonians came in, they conquered Israel, and the Babylonian foreign policy was one that when they conquered a nation, they would take those people and ship them back home so that there would be nobody left to raise a rebellion in the conquered nation. And then they would absorb the conquered people into their society, and uh, that was the way you took over a, a country if you were a Babylonian. So if you're ever a Babylonian um, and conquer a nation, this is what you do. So anyway, the, the Babylonians came, and they... Uh, conquered Israel. They took the Israelites, deported them to Babylon. The leaders, the scholars, the religious uh, leaders, uh, the craftsmen, anybody of, of note, they took them and they put them in Babylon. And so you're sitting in Babylon as a Jew and you're saying, this wasn't the plan. The plan was that I would live in God's uh, land and I would be God's people and I would worship God. That was the plan. And here I am in some other land with other gods surrounding me, with other people surrounding me. This wasn't the plan. And God sent Jeremiah to give them this prophecy. He said, here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to take a mortgage out on a house. He said it in Hebrew, so you didn't quite get it. But what, what he said was, I want you to put down roots. I want you to buy a house. I want you to start a business. I want you to raise your family. I want you to invest in the, in the economy. I want you to pray for the city around you. I want you to work for the welfare, the economic uh, uh, upbringing of that city. I want you to be involved in that. Yeah, that's not where, where the plan said you would be, but that's where you are, and here's what I want you to do. It didn't make much sense, but that was God's plan. But after God says, I want you to put down roots, I want you to be a part of things, I want you to go on with your life, then in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29 10 we read this for thus says the Lord when 70 years are completed for Babylon I will visit you and will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place God said I, I know your plan has fallen apart but I really am in control and I'm going to bring you back where I want you to be I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I've promised to you. And then verse 11, and this is the one you know, but now you know the context of it, the rest of the story. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God says, I know the plan I have for you. That's kind of comforting, isn't it? When it comes to your life, God is not winging it. God is not just saying, well, I don't know. Let's, let's see if this works. Let's see if that works. And no, God has a plan. He says, I know this plan. I got it nailed. I know the plan that I have for you. I'm going to bring it to pass. And then he describes the plan this way. I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. See, God's plan is for your welfare. God's plan is for your future. And God's plan gives you hope in him. 
And so there's this, this way in which plans fall apart and way in which plans are, are broken. And, and sometimes we, we hit spots in life where we're just wondering, what's the point of planning at all? Because every time I plan something, it, you know, somebody intervenes or something happens and, and I don't get to where I thought I was going to be. And, and I, don't, I don't see what's going on here. But what I challenge you to do is to plan the way Paul planned. That is, go ahead and line it out. You know, buy the airline tickets, have the itinerary, but understand that it doesn't always turn out the way you thought because God might have a better idea. You remember in the book of James, some of you remember this? Well, if you don't, I'll remind you. Uh, James said, look, don't ever say, I'm going to town, and there I'm going to live for a year, and I'm going to do business, and I'm going to turn a profit. Now, that's a really good plan. I'm going to get a location, all right? I'm going to have a, a schedule. I'm going to turn a profit within a year's time, so I'm going to develop the business. Uh, so so that, that's a pretty good business plan. You better have a business plan. But James says, when you say that, understand you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. Instead, here's what you ought to say. If God wills, I will go to that city and I'll live there a year and I'll turn a profit. If it's according to God's will, because more important than my plan is the will of God. And even though I'm, I'm striving to do God's will and I thought my plan was in accordance with God's will, if God wants to change the plan, then let him, you know, he's sovereign, let him get the glory. We're going to do what God wants rather than what I want. Because, the, the, you know, I, I can plan, but I don't know what the future is. I don't know what the impact of my plan is going to be on other people and their plans on mine and how it all works together. God alone knows. So what I'd like to do this morning is just sort of nudge you a little bit. I'd like to nudge you to do a little bit of planning. I think we're called to do the kind of planning Paul was talking about, you know, have, have a big plan, have the little plans to implement the big plan, you know, all, the, all those things that, that uh, organizational uh, theorists uh, tell us to do. You know, have, have a plan. I want to nudge you to do that plan. You know, the plan that you've been putting off, now, you keep saying, well, someday I'm going to start saving for retirement. Take it from one who knows. Start now. <laughs> Tomorrow is too late, okay? Uh, yesterday was too late, actually. But, you know, or, or I'm, 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 going to, I'm going to get that education, or I'm, I'm going to advance my, my, uh, my, my learning, or I'm going to gain a skill, um, or, or a plan that you have for your family, um, and, and it's things that you know need to be done. I just want to nudge you to go ahead implement the plan, have a plan, implement it. It may not work out, but God's in control, and God's plan cannot be frustrated. So first thing I want to do is just nudge you a little bit. Um, you know, not all of you, but there's probably at least one or two of you in here that you're feeling guilty because you know, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about, but you know what I'm talking about, and I want to nudge you for that. Uh, but the second thing uh, I want to do really is to remind you to submit your plans to God to his glory, to make sure that all your plans, either in there, in, when you write a plan, when you execute a plan, whether it's in your relationships financially or, or, or in your education or just personal development, whatever that plan is, make sure that every aspect of it leads to the glory of the Father, that every aspect of it ultimately brings glory and praise to God. Be sure that every step of that plan will make you look a little bit more like Jesus that will make him known and that, that the implementation of that plan will make Jesus uh, just exalt him among the nations around you. 
And so that even if the plan falls apart, God the Father gets the glory and Jesus is exalted and lifted up. And then as you go to implement the plan, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Rely on the power of God, the presence of God in your life, the Holy Spirit, to lead you in the execution of the plan not, and in the writing of the plan and all those things that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit will be sovereign over the plans in your lives. Because when you are seeking God's plan in your plans, when you seek God's plan, his plan is the best laid plan of all. Let's bow together in prayer. And gracious Father, we do ask that we would be open, receptive to the direction of your Spirit, that, Father, in our, in our uh, uh, planning, in our thought process, Father, in, in, in fulfilling that plan, that we would always be open to the direction, the redirection and correction of your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that we would indeed exalt Christ in our lives and what we say and what we do, what we want, what we plan for. And, Father, that you would always receive praise, honor, and glory through it all. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.